Lauren is an amazing story. It was a story that was um, followed by the Today Show and several other news outlets after the accident. And one of the things that I love about that video is that it was shot before her first public appearance after it. She, her parents, as you saw at the very beginning, they actually have 109 seconds. You can go watch. Her parents uh, were divorced and remarried, and they, they tell their story on I Am Second. That happened two years before Lauren's accident, and some of you know this because you follow the story. Some of you don't know, but Lauren was an up-and-coming, pretty prominent young model in the Dallas area and really had a career going in that direction when life changed for her. And I started thinking about Lauren's story of trying to ascend, because when You read some interviews and you listen to her, you understand that early on, she mentions in there some of the goals she had were shallow and not what God would intend. And you realize that all of us have this desire within us to ascend, to climb the ladder, to move upward in life, that we all have a goal in mind of having things better. I've never met anybody that said, my goal is to have less money in about five years than I have now in a smaller house with a worse job. Nobody wants that. We want to climb the ladder, right? We want to start out. I mean, usually we start out in an apartment. Susan and I started out in a 600 square foot apartment, all right? Seminary housing, which you would think they would really want to, you know, help out seminary students, give them a nice place to live. That is not the case, all right? This is where we started. And you start there, and then we moved. We, after one year of marriage, we moved. You know, I felt like the Jeffersons. We were moving on up. We went to a 950 to 1,000 square foot apartment, and we felt like we don't ever need any more than this. Right? And then we moved to Ripley, and we rented a house, and then we bought our first house, and then we sold that, and we moved into the house uh, we're in now. And you keep trying to move up. You know, we didn't go to smaller houses. Now, sometimes people move up to their dream house, and then all the kids move out, and they realize we got too much stuff, and they downsize again. But you're moving up. In careers, you don't, you don't generally see people trying to go down. They want to move up, right? They want to get better. In sports, you, you see teams trying to get better. And in fact, the story that we really like in life, the, the story that we really look out for are those rags to riches stories. You know what I mean? The, the people that are down and out, have nothing, and then suddenly they find something that's successful and they really work hard and they get better and they achieve this level. In fact, you may know what happens this afternoon. Sports world, kind of a big deal, unless you're Tennessee, Kentucky fan at the moment, probably. But the brackets are released, right? And we do, by the way, have a bracket challenge at First Baptist Goodlettsville official. You don't, you're not going to win any money, all right? You realize that that would not be good in a Baptist church to gamble. All right. Um, and so the brackets are going to be released, and everybody's going to be looking for that team that's not supposed to do anything that starts winning. A few years ago, it was uh, Gonzaga before they became good all the time. And then it was there was George Mason and VCU, you know, the, the underdog. In the tournament, they call them Cinderella's, right? They're the teams that they, and you know, the, you'll hear all these sayings, are the, does the glass slipper still fit? Are they going to win this game? We love those stories, right? That story of 
somebody that doesn't have anything or isn't supposed to do anything or isn't supposed to have any chance that gradually gets better and improves until the point that they do something unimaginable. Some of my favorite movies are about those kind of things. In fact, I saw a quote this week that um, was talking about what makes a good movie. It was from a movie studio. And one of the things they said is people love a story where somebody's trying and they keep getting knocked down, but they keep getting up. We just love that kind of story, right? And so we look for those kind of success stories, the stories of the small company that became a worldwide place, the story of a young man who grew up in poverty that suddenly had a company that made millions, the the story of a young couple that nobody thought was going to make it that suddenly become these stalwarts of the community. We love the rags to riches story. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this sermon series called I Am Second. And one of the easy things to do is to talk about that in kind of big terms. I'm second because Christ is first. And that's what we're talking about. And these videos show people going through struggles or whatever. And I am second because Christ is first. But sometimes we leave off the important part. Well, what does it mean to live second? I mean, it's easy to say that, right? I'm second. Christ is first. I believe in Jesus. But what does it mean to live second? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter Because in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is going to tell this church in Philippi and us what it means to live for the Lord, what it means to act like him. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 is this opening passage where it says, then you ought to, we ought to, all of us that are followers of Jesus Christ ought to have the same mind, the same attitude, the same actions as Jesus. Now, what we're going to talk about in a minute is much more than just the, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It is the essence of the Christian life. And Paul is talking to a church that's having some difficulty. And he says, listen, if you want to stop the difficulty in your church, if you want to live like God wants you to live, then here's what you have to do. You have to have the mind of Christ. There is a term in business that's called upward mobility. This plan to move from one rung to the next of the corporate ladder. And what's interesting about this passage from Jesus is, about Jesus, is that it tells us that upward mobility is not what is intended. That to be a follower of Jesus Christ, upward mobility is not part of our vocabulary. And people will hear that and say, that's right, Jesus was a servant. But when you consider the alternatives, we get uncomfortable. In business, there's the term upward mobility or progress or expansion or franchising or getting bigger or adding. But today we're going to talk that living the Christian life means downsizing and deferring and moving downwardly. In fact, what we're going to see in the life of Jesus is that he is someone who went on a direction that nobody would have predicted and very few of us would enact chapter 2 starting in verse 5 make your own attitude that of christ jesus this isn't hey here's a good idea if you might want to this is a commandment a desire for us as believers who existing in the form of god did not consider equality with god something to be used for his own advantage or a better translation of that is something to be grasped onto to held on to Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even 
to death on the cross. This passage of Scripture holds within it seven demotions of Christ. Seven ways that Jesus downsized in order to reach us. Where does it say he started? Verse 5 says, have your mind of that of Christ Jesus. What is the next thing? It says, who, what? Who, what? Being equal with God. Let's imagine for a minute that life is a ladder. All right? Where do you think on the ladder would be equal with God? I hope you say on the top. I don't know what would be above that. Right? And so let's say that Jesus started at the top. This is where my wife gets completely nervous, sir. All right? So he starts at the top. In fact, it says not that he was second in command, right? Sometimes we visualize Jesus as this guy who's kind of like the one right under God. But that's not what it says, does it? What does it say? He was equal with God. In the form of God. He was God. You cannot get higher than that. I don't know what else you think would be higher than God, but there is nothing. That means that he is right there with him. He is not like vice God. He's not like the Joe Biden of heaven and all God's people said. Amen. All right. He's not like second in command. He's not there to take over if God gets sick. You know, he is God. He was at creation. He spoke and the world came into being. In Isaiah chapter 6, when they're gathered around singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They are singing about God, including Jesus. He had everything, the rights and privileges of being God allowed. Omnipotence, omniscience, everything. There was nothing that was not in his power to do. It's important to understand this because if you don't understand the heights from which he came, you don't understand the radical demotion that it was. And the first thing it says in there, who being in the form of God or being equal to God or being on par with God or being God, it says, what does it say? He did not consider that something to be held on to. The first emotion Jesus had, the first step in his demotion downward was that he did not hold on to his equality with God. He came down and said, I don't have to be like, hold on to that. I want to ask you a question. If you have a right or a privilege or something that is yours, how hard is that to give up? How hard is it for you to give up something that is rightfully yours? Most of us, with our stuff or our power or our prestige or our placement in life, become two-year-olds the moment someone tries to take it away. Right? What does a two-year-old say when you try to take something away? Mine, right? Kevin and I were coaching basketball this year, and... uh, we did drills because we had the uh, least aggressive team in the history of basketball. Our pre-K and kindergarten class, our group, they would lo- they love to watch the ball just kind of bounce around, let the other team grab it, 
And so we would work on drills of whose basketball is this? It's mine. And we talked about, you know the movie Finding Nemo? You know that movie? And there's the, the birds. They keep going, mine, mine. You know, that just over and over again. That's the way we want you to be about basketball. The truth is, that's the way most of us are about our stuff or our placement or our privilege or the things that we have, whether it's tangible or intangible. And it says that Jesus didn't consider that something to be held on to. The first step in his demotion is a major one. And then it says the second thing. He made himself nothing. It says, who, being in the very form of godliness, did not consider that godliness something to be held on to, but made himself nothing. The word there literally is he emptied himself. Nothing. He gave up his rights as God. Now, now don't take that to mean he ever became less than God. Because scripture teaches while he was here, he was 100% God, 100% man. But he willingly let go of some things that would prevent him from being a man. You know, when you look at most of the political discourse in our country these days, it has a lot to do with whose rights are going to be held on to. And everybody argues that it's mine. My rights are the most important rights. The rights I believe in are the most important rights. And we are, after all, a country built from a constitution based in the first ten on rights. But no one has ever given up more in a moment than Jesus. Ever. And it's not even close. From God to nothing. From everything to nothing. You know, sometimes when we humble ourselves and we serve somebody or we go serve some food to somebody that's less fortunate than others or we give our stuff to somebody that doesn't have as much as us, we feel like, boy, we're really giving up some stuff. But here's the truth. Most of us think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And we ever think of ourselves too much. We are mistaken. Jesus had every right to think of himself as highly as possible because guess what? He was. And is. And in a moment, he gave him up and became nothing. That's not me talking. That's what scripture says, right? Right there. And then each step gets lower. And it, for those of us in here that are humans, how many of you are a man or a woman? Let me see. Good. We're unanimous. If not, you need to talk to me after the service. All right. It says after he didn't consider godliness something he held on to. After he made himself nothing, then he went even lower and became a man. This is actually Demotions 3, 4, and 5 because it is such an amazing thought that he became a man that it says it three times. Three times. He took on the form of manliness, he got the appearance of a manliness, and he became a bondservant as a man. He became a slave as a man. It says that he went from God to us. Now, actually, it says he went from God to nothing to us. Right? Three steps. He went down to us. From the height, he continues to descend. The one who spoke and the world came into being, who had never known any limitation at all, put on the limits of our human body. 
to the one whose power had never had anything stop it, he limited himself in an earthly form. He had to use doors. He had to ride animals. He had to eat for nutrition. He had to rub shoulders with people like you and me who would make his life miserable. You know what's amazing to me about him coming? It's not just that he came, but that he stayed here as long as he did. Listen, if I live forever in the eternal paradise of relationship with the Father and the Spirit in a perfect place, how long do you think it would take you to get out of here? Anybody here ever go on a really good vacation? How many of you were ready to come home when it was done? You won't stay there forever. Anybody ever said this? Boy, I'll be glad when we get home. For, you know, like I go, we go to Florida some. I love the beach, but after I've pulled sand out of every crevice and nook and cranny for a week, I'm ready to get back, right? Jesus became man, one of us. Max Lucado in his book, God Came Near, about Christmas, talks about the fact that he would have struggled with everything you and I struggle with. Hunger, thirst, a being who had never had need suddenly had every need you and I have. But that's not the end. He was on top. He didn't consider that to be held on to. He stepped down, made himself nothing. Then he stepped down and became a man. But not just any man. It says that he became a man obedient unto death. Now think about this. The one who is the cause for all living things. Died. The one who breathed life into all things to make them alive died. He stood there face to face with the enemy of death and said, this time you win. And we will celebrate over the next couple of weeks, Easter's in two weeks, we'll celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But what's important there and sometimes gets missed amongst the cross and amongst the week before and the celebration of the risen Savior is that Jesus, the one who had all power, Died, dead, in the tomb. And it says that he who had never known limits, who had never known anything but complete freedom and life, limited himself even unto death. But not just any death, right? It says that he became obedient unto death where? On a cross. There has never been a more demeaning form of death than the cross. Jesus didn't just descend the ladder and die in a normal way. He died in the most horrific way possible. On the cross, naked, for passerbys to come and to hurl insults and to throw things and to gamble for his clothes... All while he is there, son of God, God incarnate, the one that was equal and is equal with God, completely humiliated on a cross. I can't go under the stage. I mean, technically, I could probably saw some stuff out and go under, but there would be a committee of people in a church that wouldn't be happy with me sawing up the stage a little bit. But, but just coming down from a ladder to stand on the stage is in no way comparable to the depth to which Jesus went for us. And here's the thing. 
Earlier I talked about we all love those rags to riches stories, right? The greatest story ever told is a riches to rags, not a rags to riches. The greatest story ever told is not from lower to higher. It is that Jesus Christ, Son of God, humbled himself, gave up his godliness for the purpose of becoming man in order that he might shed light on the fact that we needed him because of sin in his life, died on the cross for our sins. Now, let me ask you a question. Because remember, this comes in a passage when Paul says our attitude, our mindset, our thought process, what we're doing ought to be just like Jesus. What is it difficult for you to give up? And how does that compare to what Jesus did? For the sake and the glory of our Savior. Sometimes we talk about sacrifice and we talk about small things and how difficult it is. And listen, any sacrifice is significant when it's a sacrifice that affects your life. But the truth is, our mindset is to be that we will descend however much we can in order for the glory of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God to be fulfilled. Jesus died for you and me. That is true. But he also died for the glory of God and the plan of the kingdom to move forward. It's not just all about us. In fact, primarily, we're second in this equation, too. It's about the glory of God and sanctifying people and bringing them to Him. And it is about us as a part of that. And what Paul is telling the people in Philippi and what he's telling us is, what are you willing to do to glorify the Lord? The whole purpose of Philippians chapter 2 is to remind us that it is not about us. And in fact, saying that we're second is kind of presumptuous because the truth is I understand the concept and I believe in it. But saying we're second is a little prideful. We're farther down the line than that. Now, most of you know, or some of you know, the rest of this passage of Scripture. If not, you've already read ahead or you can. But it says that after he did that, scorning its shame, God exalted him raised him to the highest place and that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we get caught up in that sometimes so much that we miss the first part of what he did before that. And listen, I'm looking forward to the day when Christ comes again. I, I, I want to tell you that every day watching the news, listening to the news, reading the news brings me more and more to the point of saying Jesus, come quickly. But I also know that in the meantime, before we get there, it is my task to humble myself and to have the mind of Jesus in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who need to hear. Let me say something to you real quick. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, whether you're part of this church or you're just visiting, but you're not a follower of Jesus, let me first remind you that what I just demonstrated on the ladder, which is nowhere comparable to what Jesus did, that Jesus lowered himself and died on a cross because you needed it and I needed it and it was for you. And if you have ever had a doubt in your mind whether God cares about you or loves you or knows you exist, know that Jesus proved that the day he went to the cross for your sins and for mine. Whatever else has happened in life, and I know that junk happens and stuff happens, but listen to this. Jesus proved his love and care for you when he came down the ladder and humbled himself to death on a cross. 
And if you want to know what it means to be in a relationship with him, you know that or you want to start that or you don't have a clue about it. In just a few minutes, I'm going to be standing down front and I'd love to talk to you about that. Listen, our, our passion here at First Baptist is to see people come to follow Jesus with everything they have. We believe that is the best life you can have, not necessarily the most prosperous, not the, not the life that's going to give you the best health, but it is the most rewarding and fulfilling. If you're a believer here today, my question to you is, what sacrifice that you have failed to do is holding you back from following the Lord completely? What is it that God is asking you to demote yourself in in order to glorify Him and spread His kingdom? And are you willing to do it? Let's pray together.